and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by NAF. I'm Pippa Rim, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, it has been a fantastic week for Britain. The six British girls absolutely dominated at the event in European Championships, taking home the team gold and the full set of individual medals, which was just a phenomenal achievement. First up this week, our interview is with Gemma Tattersall, fresh from her win in the five-star at Bicton. And of course, we had to talk about the surprise question that she was asked just after the prize giving. I've been waiting all my life to win a five-star and a four-star and finally settle down and it all happens like a bus. <laughs> it all happens at once. <laughs> I'll then be joined by another Gemma, my colleague Gemma Redrup, to review that event in European Championships before I hand over to Polly Bryan to lead a look back at the rest of the week's news. Finally, we'll go over to equestrian psychology coach Charlie Unwin for some more insight into how you can perform at your best in the saddle. I think we'll probably all have our own ideas about what a good mindset looks like, but there's very little stuff out there that actually helps people to develop and shape their mindset to get the best out of themselves, and in this case, to get the best out of our horse as well. So that's enough from me. Strap on your helmet. Let's get started. I'm delighted to welcome this week's podcast guest. It is our very latest five-star winner, Gemma Tattersall. Gemma took her first top-level title at the Cheddington Bicton Park five-star earlier this month, riding Chilly Night. Of course, she is also an Olympian and a world team gold medalist before she uh, added that uh, that five-star title to her many accolades on her CV. Hi, Gemma. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pippa. Thank you very much. Very happy to chat to you. Oh, it's lovely to have you on. I just uh, was saying earlier as well that uh, you were on our podcast before when you were on the winning quiz team at Christmas. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> that was good fun. <laughs> it's good to have yeah. you back. Yeah. Um, and Gemma, I was just thinking earlier when I was preparing for this, there are so many incredible aspects to your sort of victim five-star story. Let's start by talking about Chilly Knight. You call him yeah. Alfie at home. He's yeah. a homebred. You wrote his dam, King's Gem. Tell us about, about her. Yeah, so King's Gem was bred by, by Mary King um, and she produced her up to what is now four-star level and then Chris and Lisa Stone bought her for me to ride um, sort of fairly early on in our um, relationship, um, them owning horses for me. And I rode her to um, up to five-star level and I actually won the under-25 national championships on her at uh, Bramham. She was a fantastic little horse. She was a great jumper. She was really courageous and brave cross country, um, very fast, wiry type of horse. Um, she wasn't that good at dressage, but um, she was a pretty cool horse. Um, and I learned a lot on her. And I sort of have very fond memories of, um, you know, riding her. I think we were placed very well third, maybe, in the British Open at Gatcombe. You know, those hilly, fast courses suited her because she was she was super fast and super blood and could gallop forever um but yeah she was she was a really fun really cool horse yeah and I remember her doing well at Blair as well talking of the hilly courses right, Blair yeah. Bramham and she of course was a five-star horse as well and, and completed yeah. completed Poe too and once she retired then you and and the Stones sort of started breeding from her is that right yes she from the very beginning, so from the very first year we had her, we took an embryo from her um, and 
pretty much nearly every year we've had an embryo out of her to chilly morning um so we've got we've actually got i think eight full brothers and sisters um a couple of which have been sold but all of which are lovely lovely horses the youngest being two so yeah so we've got lots of them they're all ginger and they've all got white bits. <laughs> I was going to say, she was a chestnut as well. As yeah. Obviously, it was chilly mornings. So I was going to say, they're, they're, they're all chestnut, are they? Yeah, so they were always going to be chestnut anyway because um, two, uh, two recessive genes, so a chestnut is a recessive gene, always makes, um, so it's like, a, it's like the blue-eyed gene. So two recessive genes always make uh, blue-eyed or chestnut. So they were always going to be chestnut. Yeah. Okay. And where does Alfie fit in out of the eight? Is he one yeah, of the Yeah, so early he's ones? actually second. Okay. Um, he's second. So he's 11 and his sister, his older sister, Chili's Gem, is 12. So okay. yeah, they were the two sort of first two. So yeah. And so you've known him not just all his life, but literally since he was conceived. What was yeah. he like as a, as a foal and a young horse? He honestly, it's so funny looking back because um, he was always quite a simple guy. Um, he always had a very positive outlook in his face and in his eye. He's, he was, he's always a happy person, never grumpy. Um, you know, nothing's ever too difficult for him. He's always trying, you know, in his sort of demeanor, he always wants to please. Um, even if he finds it physically difficult, he's still going to try. He just was funny when he was a young horse because we always used to joke that, um, you know, it, it took a little while, let's just say, to get him to realise that he had to go over the jumps and not round the jumps. Like, this is when he was, like, four years old. He was hilarious because he just used to canter past them with his head in the air. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. And we always used to joke about him and say, um, you know, he was a bit of a simple chap and, you know, oh, gosh. That's clever. Well done, Alfie. You've made it double clear around your first 90 or whatever he did. And then, oh, by Jove, suddenly we've jumped double clear around our first novice and around our first two star. And he's actually suddenly looking like quite a cool little horse and he's not had any cross country faults. But he was always kind of the underdog. Um, he was always just the little horse that kept going out and kept winning a prize every time, but never sort of sparkled and never really caught anyone's eye he just was doing his job and then he sort of moved up to intermediate as a seven-year-old um and was just fantastic all year as a seven-year-old again not really sparking anyone's eye or um doing anything incredible but he was just always winning a prize every time out never had a cross-country fault always with his ears pricked always with an amazing attitude and it kind of just went on from there. And then all of a sudden he's an eight-year-old and he's coming third in his first four-star long. And actually he was so close to winning it. Um, he actually had the very last fence down because he spooked a person by the edge of the arena. <laughs> you know, and that was the sort of thing he would do um, when he was a young horse. He, you know, he'd like, oh, what's that over there? Oh, but he'd always still go um, and always still try his best. Um, and all of a sudden this year it's just clicked and... He's just the most wonderful horse. He really is. He's just come into his own and he's, you know, he's strengthened and he's, you know, it's really clicking with the dressage now. You know, he's never going to lead the dressage. He's never going to be on a 22, but he's going to be, you know, mid to late 20s now, hopefully every time out um, because he's he never does anything different other than what he's told to do. And 
Um, he's never going to blow up. You know, he's never going to be naughty or spook. He's always going to go in that arena and try his absolute best. And all the training, you know, he, he's just always going to do as he's told, basically. <laughs> and, you know, jumping wise, I mean, he's always been a super jumper. You know, he's always been a super cross country horse. He's always made the time. Every single place he's ever gone, he's made the time without even trying, without even blowing a candle out. He just makes the time. And yes, he's had the odd show jump down here and there but actually if you look at his three-day record he's had one show jump down in all his three days um, and I think he's done seven three days now so he's pretty consistent yeah he really is and like you say he's never been a flash horse through the levels no. and I think you did actually say at Victor that his trot was horrible but yeah um... his trot is horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean his trot is not great you know he he dishes in both front feet and he has no medium trot at all but he is unbelievably trainable and we've just trained him to trot better, you know, and that has definitely shown on the last few scores that we've, we've managed to score, you know, much better. Yeah, it's really impressive what you can do with a horse like that, that has the right yeah. attitude. And you were saying that he has such an incredible cross-country record. He's only ever had one jumping yeah. cross-country, which was actually at his first five-star at Poe two years ago. That must have been pretty frustrating. Oh, it was so annoying. And it was just one of those things. It was um, it was a, a big log coming down the hill into the water, and then there was a triple brush in the water. And the triple brush was right underneath all the trees. And Honestly, the horse genuinely didn't see it because he would never, ever in his life canter past the fence if he thought he had to jump it and he just didn't see it. And we just did a flyby and I was like, oh no, I can't believe that's just happened. And I just turned him round and I, and I went, here, there's a jump. And he went, it was almost like he went, I'm so sorry, I didn't see it, mum. And he oh, just popped him. over it. You know, it was just... God, it was just one of those things. And yeah, gutting, because apart from that, he's never, ever had a, another cross-country fault. Yeah, and you had a long wait to put that right with COVID and, and one thing at another yeah. to get him back to a five-star. But Pippa Funnel said that you said to her the week before, Bicton, that you were going to win. Uh, I, I did not say that. <laughs> I did not say that. She said that and Tina said that. I did not say that. <laughs> I said, you're favourite to win and I'm going to give it my best shot, but I don't think I will. <laughs> oh, well, you did oh, win dear. and you beat her. Did you feel, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there was a good bit of joking and joshing going on, but of did you course. feel quite confident going into Bicton with him um I felt really confident I really did feel the pressure you know it was quite tough you know the owners decided they very much wanted the horse um, to go to Bicton and not be in the running for the European Championships that was our decision that was their decision and our decision to you know take him five star especially as they had helped support the event it was certainly I certainly felt the pressure um going into the event I put a lot of pressure on myself um, anyway, and then I knew the horse was on really fantastic form. Um, I was feeling very confident in him. I had had a fantastic run at Hartbury a few weeks before, um, and we'd so nearly won that. Um, he had a fantastic dressage, the most unlucky touch in the show jumping, and then a, a superb cross-country round. Yeah, so I put pressure on myself, and then there was definitely pressure... Um, I felt pressure from, you know, everyone really, not even people meaning to pressure, but people just, you know, you see things, you know, I try not to look um, at things like the Equa ratings things and things like that because it messes with your head. But, you know, I was one of the favourites to win and 
obviously I so badly wanted to win. I haven't yet had a four-star long or a five-star long win. I've been second and third countless times. So yes, obviously, definitely felt the pressure. But at the same time, I felt quite confident that we could pull off a very good result. And I think you've just touched on it, but what does this result mean to you? You know, you've, you know, you, you've, you've been in eventing a long time. And as you say, you've been in the top three at five star three times before you've been so close. How important was it to get your nose in front? Oh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you the relief. I've been going at this for a long time now and a four star and five star. I've had so many four star short wins and some fantastic wins, you know, with the ERMs and some fantastic um, wins at, at Bramham and, you know, in the, in the Olympic, you know, in 2016, in that sort of final trial we had, I won that. And, you know, so I've had some brilliant results, but I've never had that four-star or five-star long win. Um, and to just come out and, and to finally get it is a huge relief, um, massive achievement. And I'm just, I'm so happy it's finally happened. You know, not just for me, but for my family and my whole team and Chris and Lisa Stone, who have supported me for so long um, and, you know, have provided some fantastic courses. And I'm just so pleased that I finally managed to do it. It means I can't tell you how much it means so much. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. And, yeah. <laughs> and Chris and Lisa, of course, such big supporters of the sport as well. It's lovely to see those yeah. sort of owners. They really, rewarded. they really are. And they really deserve it. You know, they have supported the sport. They've put so much into it. They are so passionate about it and they really deserve this, especially with, a, you know, a precious homebred, you know, mm. that they owned both the dam and the sire. It's yeah. really special. No, definitely. It's a, an incredible story. I think makes Chilly Morning the only horse to uh, both win a five-star and sire a five-star winner. It's a pretty good... Yeah. It's pretty really good cool, person. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. It's um, really cool. And Gemma, come on, we have to talk about the other big story of the weekend. Just when you basically <laughs> presumably think you can't do any more to make yourself happier because you just want a five-star, <laughs> boyfriend Gary Stevens pops up and proposes to you I in know. the final press conference. I know, he's a I, lunatic. Now, I kind of want to ask Gary this question, but I'm assuming yeah. you've asked him it. Was it planned? Was it a spur of the moment decision? Um, I think it was. I think he's been thinking about it for quite a while. I've sort of got that vibe a little bit. And I think, I don't know, I think it was definitely not necessarily planned. But I think when I won and then Pippa was definitely goading him a little bit. And then I think he just was like well, what better moment than now? There isn't a better moment because we're both so passionate about what I do and so passionate about winning. He's so competitive. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think that's what he thought. <laughs> I did see that you'd been given an accreditation at the uh, Global Champions Tour a couple of weeks before when you were visiting that said Gemma Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> so Gemma Stevens, not Gemma Tassel. There was a bit of joking on social media about yeah. that. So maybe it was definitely. in the air. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a joking about that. That was Rob Whittaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and when and when he said that in the press conference, I mean, what went through your mind? Well, because Pippa, um, no, sorry, Nicole had said, "Has anyone got any questions?" And then she turned around and said, "Oh, has Gary got a question?" And I was like, "No, don't give him the microphone because I thought he because he's he takes the mick out of everyone all the time. He's such a joker. He's ridiculous." Um, and I thought he was just going to, like, say something funny or 
take the mick out of me or say something rude because that's what he does because he's just spends his life being a joker and uh, so I just was like no don't give him the microphone don't give him the microphone anyway Pippa was straight in there wasn't she she gave him the microphone and I just thought he was gonna say something funny and um or take the mickey out of me or something and um you know and then when he sort of turned around and said oh Gemma, do you, you know how much I love you? I was like, oh, I think he's going to ask him to marry me. Oh, my word. <laughs> and, yeah, it was just so surreal. I can't tell you. It was just so surreal, the whole thing. I've been waiting all my life to win a five-star and a four-star and finally settle down, and it all happens at once. It's like a bus. <laughs> it happens at once. <laughs> and when I got engaged... Everyone asked me three questions. And the first was, how did he propose? And we don't need to ask you that one because we all saw that on telly. The second was, can I see the ring? Obviously, this is a podcast, but do you have a ring? Um, No. So we're going to go and choose it together. That's a much better idea in my, definitely for me, because, you know, boys and rings and jewellery. (laughs) Do you have an idea of what sort of ring you want? Um, I do. Yes. I was actually looking it up before we came on the podcast. (laughs) I was having a little flick through. We're going to go shopping. We're going really soon, I think, probably next week sometime. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, maybe when you have it, I'm hoping you're going to post a picture on social media so everybody can see it, obviously. <laughs> I and think is... everyone is waiting for that. This is <laughs> like a saga funny. that we're all invested oh in God. now, Gemma. It's hilarious. The third hilarious. question that everyone always asks is, when is the wedding? Do you have plans? I think the simple answer to that at the moment is no, not imminent plans because... We have literally not had time to even sort of sit down and think about it. But I think we don't want a dragged out engagement. So we'll be getting on with it. <laughs> well, as I say, we're all invested in this story now. We feel like we're part oh, of it. My so word. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see the picture oh, of the wedding. So and uh, yeah. we, we want to see the picture of the ring. We're looking forward to the wedding coming round. But uh, it was an incredible way to finish the weekend. And it seemed to fit so well because it felt like there was a happy spirit at that event, wasn't there? You know, everyone yeah, was there. Yeah, there really was. Everyone was just so grateful. And, you know, what a job Bicton did. It was just fantastic. And, you know, thank you so much to them for putting it on and the sponsors and we were desperate for something to aim these good horses at and the owners you know for something for them to come to and make it all worthwhile again and it was just like you say it was the most amazing atmosphere and everyone was just so happy to be out and you know the sun shone and it was just a beautiful brilliant event. Well, Gemma, it's massive congratulations both on the win and on your engagement. Um, And thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's been great to hear more about it. Yeah, really nice to chat to you. Thank you. So I'm here with my colleague Gemma Redrup. We have both been following the Eventing European Championships last week. I was lucky enough to be out in Switzerland while Gemma was back home but did uh, several days work on our website listening to rider interviews I was sending her and writing lots of stories so pretty involved in it while I was the one who was lucky enough to be eating cheese fondue and uh, looking (laughs) at lakes in Switzerland. Um, Gemma it was an incredible competition wasn't it? Oh, it was amazing and so exciting. I mean, we've been so spoiled, haven't we, with the sport recently and this was just another one. It was. And it was an absolutely phenomenal result for the Brits. So the headlines, Team Gold, 
clean sweep of the individual medals. All three podium spots went to British riders. Five of the six British riders finished in the top 10. It was absolutely unbelievable. And leading the way, our very own Nicola Wilson. Yeah, and her amazing horse, Dale Dublin, who I really can't get enough of at the moment. Yeah, he's a young horse, isn't he? He's only 10. And I have to say, at the beginning of this year, he was barely on my radar at all. Um, mm. Maybe maybe you've had your eye on him for longer, Gemma, and I was behind the curve, but he's been <laughs> so in the spotlight this year. Yeah, he has. And I, I, I'm the same as you, Pippa. Like, I sort of didn't, I'd never heard of him really um, at the beginning of the year, but it was at Bicton in the summer where I was with you um, covering that event. And he obviously won the four star long there and was just amazing. And he sort of hasn't stopped winning since he won at Hartbury, the four star short there as well um, last month. So, yeah, he is a force to be reckoned with for sure. And we're so lucky to have him. <laughs> We are. And, and, you know, Nicola is, I was thinking while I was writing my report, she is an experienced team rider now. She knows she's a decade into her team career. This is her fifth championship horse. And she's a very good trainer of horses, producer of horses. She's quite old fashioned, I think, in her mindset. She thinks long term. She She's a rider who aims for three days rather than quick wins at one days. And uh, this horse, you know, you can make up for a lot of a horse's inexperience with a rider who has a lot of experience. And I think that's what we saw this weekend from, from Nicola and Dubs as she calls him i mean she doesn't have a weak phase nicola and and seemingly neither does does he so i think the world is definitely their oyster definitely and i would say he's probably the best horse she's ever had on the flat and she might think that's a bit rude to some of her previous campaigners (laughs) but um you know she has traditionally been a brilliant jumping rider you know we all sort of first knew her in the spotlight and opposition buzz who wasn't a great dressage horse and it's lovely to see her with a horse that can do all the phases she finished on her dressage score this weekend Um, only two other people did that one of them was piggy march who took the individual silver on brickfield innocent it's great to see Piggy in that spot after quite a sort of anguish-filled summer, I think, in some ways, with the build-up to Tokyo, being named as the uh, British alternate. She and her owners making the decision not to take Brookfield Innocent out there in that capacity. It was good to see her get a championship under her belt and go as well as we know she can. Yeah, absolutely. And she's such a she's such a lovely person and, again, another amazing producer of horses and when she sort of moved up because i think overnight she was fourth going into the into the show jumping when she moved up initially into into bronze i was delighted for her uh, for all of the reasons that you've just said so for her to then move up again and into silver was was really exciting and really well deserved yeah definitely and she was the british pathfinder and i have to say never gave me a moment's anxiety cross country it was such a tight round um yeah you know she just made sure of, of every moment And the third British horse and rider on the individual podium, they were not team members, came here as individuals, the horse a little less experienced than than those in the team generally, but it was Sarah Bullimore and Coraway. I think so many fans of this little horse, Gemma. I am definitely one of them as well. He is one of the cutest things I've ever seen in my life. I think she said when he was four, she measured him and he was 15 too, and she hasn't dared since because she doesn't want to know how small he is, but I can't imagine he's grown that much because he does still look tiny but he was another one like you're saying about piggy who sort of never gave you a moment's worry he was just unbelievable in all three phases and my god he jumps i have to say i think his show jumping round was the best in the competition he never even looked like he was trying to be honest and 
And a really special one for Sarah. He's a homebred. She rode his dam at the Europeans in 2015. And, you know, Sarah is not a rider who does have a lot of championship experience. That 2015 Europeans was her only other senior championship appearance until this week. And, uh, you know, she's 48. She's not She's not sort of 22 years old. So it's lovely to see a rider who's grafted for so many years getting that sort of reward. Absolutely. And it seems mad when you say that, Pippa, that it's only her second senior championship because sort of in the seven and a half years I've been working at Horse and Hand, I've spoken to her so many times at events like Burley and Badminton and she's always there or thereabouts at, at those big events. So, you know, it's great that she's finally been rewarded with, with a medal. So, yeah, I was chuffed for her as well. Definitely. And uh, the third counting score in the British team came from Kitty King. She was ninth individually on Vendredi Biatz. It's the second top 10 finisher to Euros for, um, for, for Kitty and this, this lovely grey horse. And um, they had a really solid performance all week, just what you needed from team members. And it was Kitty's first senior gold, in fact. Yeah, and she was so, I think she was probably quite unlucky to have the fence down that she she did in in the show jumping, especially on a horse like him who, again, I watched him show jump at Bicton and he looked like he could be a pure jumper. And I think she said it's the first fence he's had down all year. But, you know, she's still, you know, a solid, a solid performer um, at this top level. And um, he's still an exciting horse. Absolutely. And I think that's the exciting part, isn't it? They're all such young horses, you know, yeah. we haven't we haven't even quite got to talking about Izzy Taylor and monkeying around, but all five of those horses, 10, 10 or 12 years old. So, so much hope for the future. And to cover off Izzy, she was Britain's second individual. She finished 10th with the 10 year old monkeying around, who is another, probably the most inexperienced horse, in fact, in the in the, in the squad. And that was another really good performance. It was. And I feel like he's been around forever as well, even though he is only 10, because he had such success as as a young horse. And it's so easy to forget he is only 10. And I think he's called Monkey at Home from, from what I've heard. And, and you can see that he's sort of got the capability to be to be a bit of a monkey sometimes. And Izzy does such such a good job with him to sort of keep his, his mind on the straight and narrow. Yeah, I, I spoke to Izzy because I featured him in our uh, in the spotlight feature in Horse and Hound magazine earlier this year, and she said that you know he used to clear collecting rings when he was younger, leaping about, <laughs> and uh, and he went through a real teenage phase a couple of years ago when uh, sort of realised it was easier to go around the jumps rather than over them. But um, he's sort of been through that phase, come out the other side, and although he was green cross country, he tried hard, and testament to Izzy's experience to get a horse that green round inside the time. Two, there were only seven clears in the time. Three of them came from the Brits. Yeah, no, she she did an amazing job. And again, I sound like a broken record, but another exciting prospect for us. Yeah, definitely. And sadly, our fourth British team member was Ros Cantor. Not sad that she was a member of the team, but a sad, slightly sad performance for her. She took her world champion, All-Star B, really high hopes. They were second after dressage, went out onto the cross country. And he just seemed to dry up on her a little bit near the end of the course and ended up having a couple of runouts. And it was a bit of a bit of a mystery one. And Ros put it down to a couple of factors, didn't she, Gemma? Yeah, I think she said sort of the the whole Tokyo thing. Obviously, they were sort of traveling alternates and they obviously never got used. But he is 16 years old now. And I think she said it sort of has taken it out of him a little bit, maybe mentally as much as anything. And, and but also she it meant that she couldn't get all of the fitness work she wanted into him. And I was watching him cross country and he was his usual class self. And when it happened, I was like, 
oh and then it happened again and I was like oh and but you know he came out and he jumped the most beautiful round um on the final day and you did feel for us because she you know without those two problems she'd have probably been there or thereabouts in terms of winning the competition so but you know she did a, a great job and hopefully we'll see him again at some some more events next year yeah and I don't think it was that he felt like an old tired horse I think you know the course was tiring in the sense that it was twisty he is a big horse he's a big galloper he maybe got a little demoralized as well as as well as weary and he's a horse who he's a lazy horse and he has to sort of know yeah. what he's doing and I imagine it was quite confusing for him to go to Tokyo and not compete um, yeah. and he's had a weird couple of years you know everyone's had a weird couple of years with COVID Ross had a baby the year before COVID so as Ross says he hasn't done a big event really since you know he hasn't done a big three days since they won at WEG in 2018 and you know, Ros is such a level-headed, nice person. And I saw her coming over to speak to me after the cross country and all the other journalists had sort of disappeared speaking to the good riders. And I was like, oh, it's only me. And she was like, oh, I'm fine. How are you? How's your day? And I was oh. like, oh, bless you. You've just basically lost an individual gold medal and you're asking how my day is going. Uh, yeah. yeah, she's amazing. And it made me laugh, actually, um, that she said that before she went into her dressage, she got some of the Team GB supporters to go and clap around the arena to try and, like, gm up a bit because he's he is like you say he's he's a little bit lazy by nature and she said that he pricked his ears for about two strides and then he's like oh, okay no well i'll go back to normal sort of thing <laughs> he just yeah. knows he just knows his job doesn't he it seems and he doesn't get excited about it necessarily but he does go out and, and deliver most of the time yeah, and the exciting thing was he did look a little bit excited at the second trot up. And uh, Ros was saying that uh, that's how he used to be sort of back before her maternity leave. She couldn't hold him at trot ups and other people had to trot him up for her. Ros, of course, is tiny. He is huge. Um, <laughs> so uh, and she said, oh, maybe that bodes well for the future. So we're looking forward to, to seeing that pair out. And I think this gold medal was, was Ros's as much as anybody's for everything she's done for the British team this year, taking that difficult role in Tokyo, which she actually talked about on the podcast for us a couple of weeks ago. But it was just a stupendous week for the Brits and uh, we could frankly just finish now we'd basically have covered this whole thing <laughs> off wouldn't we Gemma without even talking yeah. about any other nations yeah exactly we we swept the board and th the end but yeah no there, there were some other very good combinations as well obviously so there were right Gemma this is going to be like the quick fire round although okay. you can you can explain your choices I think and, I, <laughs> and I'll explain mine too and um, give us a horse to watch non-British I've really done myself no favours here whatsoever because I've actually picked the horse with the most unpronounceable name out of the whole field. Uh, so sorry, but uh, bear with me. Bridgemolger van Het Marinshof Z, uh, who is ridden by Sweden's um, Spear Schorberg, who is only 23. Now the horse's stable name is Belle, so I'm going to call the mare Belle. Um, she's just 10, um, the mare, and um, she really impressed me. She did a sweet 30.3 dressage and then jumped a beautiful double clear, just added a few time faults. Um, and my God, she, she looked like she jumped and she looked like she's got a great brain. It was both her and Sophia's first senior championship uh, and they finished 13th. So um, that would be my one. How about, how about yours, Pippa? I am going to take Claire Abbott's horse, Jewelant, for Ireland, yeah. best of the Irish team. Um, he is a nine-year-old, grey, homebred by his, his co-owner, Lisa Ross Botham, and her father, who was out in... Um, 
Innovation was absolutely delighted with his appearance. He also jumped to double clear, actually exactly the same number of time faults as, as your pick, who I'm not even going to try to pronounce, Gemma. <laughs> 5.6 time faults cross country. They had very similar performances and uh, yeah. Jewelant finished 14th just behind the uh, the Swedish horse. And he's a real smart one to watch. Claire is a rare amateur rider at this level. She's a part-time maths teacher three days a week. So, uh, and, and just has a couple of event horses. So good for her for, for competing at the top level still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I that one also caught my eye and is an exciting prospect for Ireland for sure. And give me a rider to watch, Gemma. Yeah, so my ride would be Leah Siegel from Austria. I believe she was the youngest competitor there. She only turned 23 in August um, and she was 16th on Van Helsing P. There were another to jump, a lovely clear, again, just adding a few cross crunch time time faults to a 28.7 dressage sorry it jumped double clear and I thought she first caught my eye in, in my eye in Tokyo um where she finished 15th on a different horse to, to this one actually um and she just rides with maturity way beyond her years uh and is definitely one to watch I think and surely got to be a great asset to the Austrian team Definitely, yeah. Following up on that exciting performance in Tokyo, I think I've said in mm. the uh, magazine report, serious star in the making. I'm again going to take the rider who finished just behind her, weirdly, as we did with horses. Okay. I'm taking Anna Seamer. She's a little older. She's in her late 30s, the German rider. But this was her first time on the German team. She's ridden as an individual at championships before, but um, pulled into the German team, provided the third counting score with Michael and Ingrid, who she said are her superheroes. And she is such a joyous rider she just she's so fun every time she comes into the mix zone she's like just making everybody laugh she's like yeah i am on the team it is so cool <laughs> and obviously like all the germans she speaks great english but with that with that german accent but she's a lot of fun and um, she's yeah. got a great partnership with this horse it's a mare frh butts avondale a uh, lovely lovely mare who's a real natural cross-country horse mm -hmm. she's a gutsy rider and uh, they they had a had a good time and i think haven't done their chance of uh, being on another German team any harm at all I watched her cross country and it was it was really cool to watch so yeah like you say I, um definitely one to watch in the future finally Gemma a quote of the week for you yeah so mine would be going back to Sarah Bullimore uh and she said after getting that bronze medal yesterday on Crewe um she said I feel emotional it's been quite a roller coaster just to even get here as into a championship has taken me 10 years. I've been on the reserve list all those years and to finally actually be picked straight out is a major, major thing. The last time I rode at the Europeans was on his mother, which was Lily Corinne. So it's really special. And I just, yeah, that sort of made me feel a little bit teary in a way, I suppose, for the same reasons I was talking about earlier, that she's, you know, she's been at the top level for all of this time. And it was, it was great to see her sort of rewarded for that at a senior championship. Definitely. I'm going to take one from a rider that we haven't talked about yet, Francis Maxim Livio. He was prominent all the way through the competition, so nearly an individual medalist. Ended up, well, I, I was going to say he ended up losing two medals for France. The French team lost their bronze medal in the show jumping. Between the three of them, they had five fences down. Maxime was the last to go, so it feels like he lost it. But to be honest, I'm blaming it on Jean-Louis Bigot, who had three down. But uh, <laughs> Maxime was the one in the ring and his one one fence down lost him an individual medal, lost France, the team bronze. But his horse is another one to watch, an 11-year-old, big grey, quite a deliberate jumper. He's called Api du Libert. 
I, uh, after I'd spoken to all the Brits and uh, all that craziness was over, I saw Maxime walking off on his own and he has excellent English. And because I'm a great journalist and a horrible person, I followed him and chased <laughs> him down and uh, demanded he explain himself to me. But he was charming as ever. And in his excellent English, he, he said that what he said was he explained what had happened with the mistake with the horse. And then he said, my first reaction is to be frustrated. But my second, when I look at my horse is to say, what a good week. And I, you know, I think he meant if, if he'd known at the beginning of the week, he was going to be sixth, he'd definitely have taken that on, on quite a green horse. So I think that just sums up yeah. horse sports sometimes. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's so lovely to hear from these top riders when they, they make comments like that, like so many of them do, but it's really nice when you, when you hear it firsthand. Well, Gemma, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the podcast today to talk about this Europeans. Next time you'll have to go to, to Switzerland and have the fondue and I have to stay home. But uh, I definitely was... like the sound of that. Thanks. <laughs> 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 <up on> that. <laughs> it was it was a good week. And thank you for all your work on the website and for joining me to review today. I'm Polly Bryan and I'm back with you this week for the new segment of the Horse and Town podcast. It's been a slightly quieter week for me work-wise actually after the excitement of the National Dressage Championships earlier in September. I've been enjoying following the eventing Europeans from afar, how brilliantly our team did and I've just been soaking up a bit of this lovely autumn sunshine that seems to have uh, definitely gone away today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm joined today by our news editor Eleanor Jones. Hi Eleanor. Hello, uh, how's things? Uh, I've just had a had a nice week off, so um, enjoying that sunshine. It's going to rain all week now, so that was quite good timing. <laughs> I'm glad we all managed to enjoy it while it lasted. And we also have senior news writer Lucy Elder. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Polly. I've been doing very similar to you, I think. After all the excitement of Tokyo and Blenheim, I've actually had a week to kind of decompress and uh, watch watch obviously the brilliant eventing Europeans and quite a lot of other sport over the weekend so yeah feeling feeling good and refreshed oh good it is there's definitely something to be said for enjoying sports when you're not actually uh, flat out reporting <laughs> on it that is absolutely brilliant and it's so exhilarating and so much fun but um, it is nice to step back and uh, let other people do that once or twice just, just watch it and enjoy it <laughs> exactly exactly so Eleanor we're going to come to you first to talk about a couple of the stories that are in the news this week you've been covering uh, it's a bit of an ongoing story really isn't it about the sport of modern pentathlon and the place that riding specifically show jumping has within that it follows a quite unpleasant incident that took place at the tokyo olympics eleanor just briefly run us through what happened there first of all so this is something we have been covering since it happened and of course the every Olympics which is obviously when the, the modern pentathlon comes most into the public eye there is sort of rumblings about the the, the standard of the riding um, but as I'm sure uh, everyone listening is aware there were some not pleasant scenes uh, at the Tokyo Games where the, the German athlete who w- had been in the gold medal position um, rode a horse called Saint Boy and he was napping and there was um, yeah some, some unpleasant scenes and the horse really did not want to jump and that had has caused uh, some changes, I think, are going to be made, um, is, is what's hoped. Okay. And you've been chatting this week with a former Olympic medalist in modern pentathlon, haven't you, about some of the ways in which changes in the sport, um, previous changes in the sport, has actually impacted on the riding, perhaps negatively, and, and the standard of riding that we do see at these, these big competitions. 
Yeah, so we, we spoke. To, I spoke to Kate Allenby, who won uh, the bronze medal at the 2000 Games in Sydney, and she is of the opinion, which I've heard from other sort of athletes and, and people within the sport as well, that the the riding has been sort of made less important, or effectively made less important by the world governing body, which is the UIPM in that how they've changed things so it used to be a five-day format and then it was a one-day format and and they changed it so that the to qualify for the final at a, at a championship you had to be in the top 32 and then they took out the riding from the semi-final and, and obviously it is the most expensive I'm sure um, element of mm. the pentathlon but they took it out because of costs she said and and until then everyone had ridden so she said that was giving a message that the other events are more important but also it meant that you could get to major competition to the Olympics without having done the riding phase. That does sound quite bizarre, actually, to be able to get to something so enormous as the Olympics and not actually be that accomplished in one of the five phases. No, and, it, and of course, it's a big ask as well, because it's a, it's a 120 course or up to 120 mm. course at the Olympics on a horse you've met 20 minutes before. And, and you know, I wouldn't want to be doing that having no. not <laughs> ridden in a competition for however long. So, yeah, difficult one. Exactly. And and Kate Allenby, who you spoke to, she um, she actually did grow up riding in the Pony Club. Is that right? Yes. And she said that also um, this year's the Tokyo uh, female gold medalist was Kate French, who also came mm. through the Pony Club. But she said, interestingly, our the British man, uh, Joe Chung, who also won gold, he didn't come through the Pony Club, but she's saying, but he still got to that standard and, and that shows what can be done if the right uh, you know attention is given to the riding standard which I thought was really interesting. That is really interesting so it's not necessarily that in order to succeed in modern pentathlon you do have to come from a background that involves horses you can get up to that standard it's not impossible as we all know a lot of people come to riding perhaps a bit later in life but presumably you know the same emphasis if not perhaps more needs to be put on that on that phase yeah definitely and uh, the UIPM as we had previously reported uh, in August soon after the Tokyo said they were announcing measures which they said would urgently protect uh, horse welfare which included this working group that was going to review the Tokyo Games, make recommendations and see if there was a need uh, for changes to the governing body's ethics for horse welfare. Um, and, and Kate's saying there are there are good people on, on this committee and they need to be given a, as broad a scope as possible, was her words, to effect change, to, to, to make things different. Okay, that's it's good that, you know, hopefully we will see some positive change and it will be very, very interesting to see how this plays out in the sport of modern pentathlon, for sure. Over to you now, Lucy. We are going to talk about quite a different topic, actually, one that does tend to split opinion, and that is equine cloning. We're not going to get too much into the, the ethics of it just at the moment, but a clone of a rather famous horse has recently been born. Is that right? Yes, Polly, that's absolutely correct. So the... Legendary show jumping stallion Arco has been cloned. The foal was born in August in the US and we know that it was a joint effort between the UK-based genetic preservation company called Gemini Genetics and Viagen Pets and Equine in the US. So the clone was he was generated from a small skin sample from the original Arco, which was then preserved by Gemini Genetics, um, which is also the sister company to Stallion AI Services. Mm. And then that sample was shipped to Viagen Pets and Equine in the US. And um, as I just said, yeah, the foal was born in August. So we've seen some photos of him of him this week and of course Arco as you said he is an absolute 
legend in the sport of show jumping with his rider Nick Skelton. Um, he died, didn't he, earlier this year at a very grand old age. And so I imagine it must be very emotional for, for his owners, for the family, um, to have a clone of him born. Yes, so Arco's owners, Pat, John and Lisa Hales of Shaw Farm Stud, they said that it was obviously an extremely sad day for their family when they lost Arco as he was. He really was a horse of a lifetime. They also said that the birth of his clone was very emotional and that they believe it's not only exciting for the sport worldwide, but for the future of British breeding for years to come and that they look forward to breeding many more champions from, from the bloodline in the future. And do we know what the main intention is for for this clone? Is he is he set to focus on on breeding primarily? What might we see him out competing one day? So I spoke to Lucy Morgan, who's the manager of Gemini Genetics, and she told me that plans for what his future might hold in terms of competition haven't been decided yet. But she did stress that the main intention is for him to be a breeding sire. Uh, she also told me that he's remaining at the Viagen facility out in the US until until he's weaned at least. Um, she also clarified, because I did ask, um, that there's no issue surrounding the quality or availability of Arco semen, um, but rather the decision to close was about taking the opportunity really to preserve his genetics for the future well it is a really interesting and fascinating topic i'm sure well i certainly will and i'm sure many other people will definitely be keeping an eye out for arco's clone in years to come that is all from us and the news team this week thank you so much for joining us eleanor and lucy The Horse and Hand podcast is currently supported by NAF. As fed by Gemma Tattersall to Chilly Night, Five Star Superflex from NAF is recommended for all horses' joints and has been formulated by vets and nutritionists to offer flexibility for life. The proof will be in your horse's performance. Now we're going over to performance psychologist and mental coach Charlie Unwin. Charlie works across sport, business and the military and helps riders to optimise their performance from the inside out in training and in competition. He's passionate about working with equestrians because the horse's performance is an extension of the riders. His clients won an incredible four gold medals at the recent Olympics in Tokyo, as well as three silvers and one bronze. Over to you, Charlie. Hello, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the winning mindsets. Uh, mindset's a word that is used a lot in sports. It's become synonymous with the world of psychology and our inner game. But what is it? And why is it so important? I think we'll probably all have our own ideas about what a good mindset looks like, what a bad mindset looks like. But there's very little stuff out there that actually helps people to develop and shape their mindset to get the best out of themselves. And in this case, to get the best out of our horse as well. So in this episode, I want to share with you uh, my own concept of developing an inside out mindset, a mindset which I've used a lot with riders um, and indeed other sports to allow people to focus on the things that they can really control and ultimately achieve that their own big goals and aspirations. My starting point for this is really to get you thinking about you when you were a beginner, you when you were very much starting out riding in the sport and probably the first time you ever got on a horse, your only concern was staying on. 
at that point, so long as you could stay on, that was a success. And you soon learned how to stay on. You learned about balance, you learned about posture, and you learned all these little things that allowed you to get to the ends um, and achieve the results. And it was enjoyable. It was exciting. As you went along, you genuinely felt a sense of reward and satisfaction for getting these small things right. And of course, it's not so long before you're doing all of these things so well that actually you start to you start to get quite a good tune out of the horse. You start to jump fences. And before long, you find yourself competing. And when you get to your first competition, you're just excited to be there. You've got nothing to lose. There are no expectations whatsoever. And so you go and you have fun. You're focused and you're a bit nervous because you know that you've got to concentrate on doing a lot of things well. But that's okay because those are the things that you concentrate on every day. So you get into the arena, you focus on them, and you end up doing pretty well. And there's something called beginner's mindsets, and some of you may even call it beginner's luck. Well, this is actually a thing, and it's not luck at all. Beginners actually have a very powerful mindset because they focus wholeheartedly on the things that actually matter, on the things that count. They don't have any expectation for the outcome because they haven't had any experience achieving that outcome. And therefore, they, they purely focus on those things that they can control. Now, scientists have noticed a similar effect in something they call younger brother syndrome. Uh, and the only reason I use the term brother and not sister is because the early research was done with, with younger brothers. And I particularly relate to this as a younger brother playing cricket in the garden with my brother when I was smaller. And my brother is a very, very good cricketer. He always was. And because he was two years older than me, he was bigger, he was stronger. And basically, I had no chance. However, I remember one day accidentally hitting the ball really well. And the ball went flying across the garden. He disappeared off to go and look for it under a bush. And I was left there for the first time just to think, oh, how did I do that? And I realized that there were two things that I did well. One thing was that I kept my eye on the ball. I just kept focusing on the ball all the way onto the bat. And then the second thing was that I kept a straight bat. So basically, I'd found two ingredients for hitting the ball or connecting with the ball more sweetly. And so from that point onwards, that was my motivation for turning up. All I really wanted to do was to get better at those two things. Why? Because I knew that by doing those two things well, I would hit the ball more sweetly. And that became almost my intrinsic rewards for doing it. Uh, and funnily enough, because I was focusing on that and because I was enjoying that component, I started to get better at those two things. And as I got more skillful at keeping my attention on the ball and keeping a straight bat, then obviously I started to hit the ball more, more often and I started to score more runs. Eventually, the day came when I beat him. He hates me telling this story. And he folded up his arms and he said, right, I don't want to play that anymore. And of course, that perhaps highlights what happens to us when we become more outside in. In other words, we focus on the outcome of what we're trying to achieve. And when that's not going to plan, we don't really have anywhere to go. We don't have any degree of persistence not because we can't, but because we haven't just trained our minds to really come back to the ingredients of performance. And so 
that for me highlights the difference between what I call an inside out mindset, where we're focused on the or effectively our inner game um, and we're allowing the outcome to take care of itself versus an outside in approach, which is where we obsess about the outcome, the clear rounds, the results, the placings. But actually what that forces us to do is lose control of the process that actually gets us there in the, in the first place. Now, of course, this is an important mindset, especially for everyone, absolutely everyone. But it becomes more challenging as you actually get better at your sports because you start to get results. You start to realize that if you turn up and you do the right things, you can get a pretty good result. And so it's very easy for your brain to start connecting the reward mechanisms, what we call the dopamine systems in your brain. Those dopamine systems start to become connected to the outcome of what you're doing. Um, and as a result, they create a sort of haziness or a vagueness around the inputs of what you do. So this has nothing to do with your ability. And that's a really important bit to get across because you've already proven that you're capable of doing something. What this is about is your capacity to apply yourself to the processes that get you there. And very simple things that help people to stay focused on those things are writing this stuff down. Being able to write down the little things that made a difference. If you have a lesson, if you have any experience whereby you learn something that works for you positively, write it down. And before long, if you, if you write this down in, in some kind of a journal or a notebook, you effectively give yourself a good news Bible, whereby every time you come back to that notebook, it's just full of all these little nuggets, these golden nuggets that fill you with confidence and remind you of these uh, little things that, uh, that enable you to get the results. So mindset in some ways is a very easy subject, I think, to understand, but it's a very difficult one to do in practice because um, it sort of changes very slowly over time. And it's our job to be able to bring it back to, to sort of first principles. So have a go at doing that. I talk a lot more about the principle of inside out mindset in the courses that we run on Center 10. So do jump onto center10.com or any of our social media um, and, and join in on some of those courses where you'll learn a lot more. Thank you, Charlie. Next week, Charlie will be back to talk about identity and drive and their place in performance. Our interview will be with new national dressage champion, Emile Forey, and we'll review all the week's news as normal. Thank you for listening to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by NAF. See you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.